Well, good morning, everybody. You will hear today why I really mean this. Thank you for being here. I started a series uh, two weeks ago. This is the second lesson, and it's entitled Winter is Coming. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most people will grow cold. In other words, the more wicked the world becomes, the colder people will be, the less they will love. And I promised, I said, I'm going to give us some thoughts, some ways that we can counter that. Ways that we as Christians can make sure that we don't become cold ourselves. That we don't become loveless ourselves. We have an incredible story in South Africa that we, that we are, are taught from a very young age. And it's called Rachelki de Beer. This is a girl's name, Rachelki. You, would you like to say that? Anybody like to say that? Rachel in Afrikaans. Rachelki de Beer. And the story goes like this. In the, the winter of 1843... There were families traveling from one portion of South Africa to another portion. And it was inland, was close to the mountains. And they, they stopped over and they, they had cattles that were with them. It's like the, um, this, the Oregon Trail, is that what you call it? Like it's a similar thing to that. And, and they, they had a, a cow. One family had a little baby calf, sorry, a baby calf. And, and his name was Fricky. Do you like to say that? Fricky. A cow is actually a cute little thing, eh? but don't get one. These things are crazy, I'm telling you. They can do incredible things. Fricky got lost. And so Rachelki and her brother, I think her brother was um, six years old. She was 18 years old. She went with her, her little brother and they went looking for Fricky. And suddenly it started to snow and snow and snow. And they got lost in the snow. And they looked for a place to sort of huddle up. Now, in, um, in South Africa, you have this animal. This is called an artfark. Would you like to say that? There's all kinds of words today, eh? Rachelki, fricky, and artfark. Literal translation is like earth pig, okay? And this animal would go to an ant heap. Do you guys know what an ant heap is? I don't know if you get ant heaps in, a, in America, but in South Africa, you get big ones, right? This animal is incredible. He digs a hole into the side. He's got a, he's got a monstrosity of a tongue. And the tongue comes out. Do you get this animal like this in, in, in America? Okay. In any case, it's got this tongue that comes out. And it just, it, it, the ants just stick to the tongue. And he'd clear out the whole ant heap. And, and it would look like that when he's done with it. A hollowed out ant heap. And so Rahuki and her brother, um, they find one of these. And she puts her brother inside. And she takes her clothes off. And she dresses him, clothes him, makes sure that he's warm. And she covers the outside of the ant heap. And she froze to death. And the next morning, obviously, the family found them. That's a story that we grow up with. And for me, when I started thinking about the lesson for today, it came to my mind. She tried to huddle up as closely to him as possible. She tried to use her body heat. To keep him warm as he was getting cold. So our first, well, second lesson, first piece of advice. If we want to stay warm as the world gets colder is to cuddle. To huddle up. To get closer to each other. You see, when it gets cold, we need each other's body heat. 
And I'm sure that you know that I'm referring to our spiritual lives. I'm referring to the church. And I'm not referring to the, to the institution, but the people. When you get cold, you cuddle, you huddle up. Cuddling means to, to hold close in one's arms as a way of showing love and affection. It's a prolonged and affectionate hug. It's what married couples do in the winter, right? That's the best thing for me about winter. I get to cuddle up and huddle in with my wife. It's what parents do with their kids. When your kids are small, isn't this a wonderful thing when they just climb on top of you and they get into bed with you and they cuddle with you? It's wonderful. And it's birthed in love. And it's accelerated through cold weather. And as the world gets colder and evil increases, it's getting worse out there. And if we don't draw closer to each other, to God's people, we'll get cold ourselves. Now, I've got one key text for us today. It's going to be a very simple lesson. Very simple lesson. And that key text is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. But before I get there, I want to ask you the question. And I want you to deeply reflect on this. Just think through it, uh, about this for a moment. What is the primary reason why you came to church this morning? And you could just, you could just think about that. For, why did you really? I mean, it's raining outside. Why would you? Why don't you just look at, out the window and say, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to get in my car, man. Some of you drove a distance to get here. I think Kaylee came like from Lacombe, I think. It's like far away. Is it Lacombe? Yeah. Sorry. Why? Why come this morning? To hear preaching. Thank you, Terry. So glad you came to listen. Okay. Okay. With that said, let's look at this text. What did I do with my slides this morning? Oh, goodness. Okay, hold on one second. I, I missed it. Here's our text for this morning. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. If you remember one text today, it's just this one. And I want you to read carefully what it says. Here we go. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to leave it up there. I'm going to give you a second to just read it again with me. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This has always been the go-to text. I grew up with it. I've preached it. It's the go-to text, go -to, text to push people to coming to church. You've got to go to church, man. And here's the verse. Scripture and verse. And rightfully so. But in my years of church, I've got to be honest with you, I've never heard or myself have taught actually what it says and explained it properly and now I, I want to briefly do that this morning to the best of my ability and 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 deal with it 
Allow me to briefly summarize what I'm going to say. I think there's a discrepancy between what we think going to church means in general and what God intends it to be. There's a difference. Our idea of church does not look the same. Uh, Doug referred to it this morning. Our idea of church does not look the same as the idea that the apostles had. It doesn't look the same as what the uh, first century church experienced. It just doesn't look the same way. A few examples. The churches we read of in the Bible, they met in homes. They didn't meet in church buildings like we we are this morning. They didn't own property. When we read the book of Acts, they sold their properties. Exactly the opposite. They helped the poor. They were organic. They weren't massive organizations with thousands of people, big budgets and lots of money. They were poor people. It was an organic movement. They were families that got together. They were not institutions. They had no pulpits, no pews, no baptistries. If you're here on Sunday nights, you'll know. People met by the river, got baptized in the river. It was a different type of church experience. Therefore, we find ourselves at the end of a long line of church traditions. And we have become accustomed to these traditions. Now, I don't want to be critical about these traditions. That's not why I'm pointing these things out. I'm just pointing it out so that we can get back, so we can move it out of the way and get clarity on what the idea of church actually is. What it's supposed to be. Because we can practice it. I believe that we can definitely practice it. So this morning, think carefully. If you think building, institution, sermon, guitar, pew, if you think those things, when you hear the word church, you've missed the mark. You've missed it. If you woke up this morning saying, I'm going to church, and you're thinking about the pew, the institution, the building, the pulpit, if that's what you're thinking, you've missed what Hebrews says it's about. The word church, ecclesia is the Greek word, does not refer to a place, an institution, or an organization. It refers to a people. So if you really want to ask, well, I'm going to church, what it should mean in your head is, I'm going to see some people. That's really what church is. You you shouldn't be thinking about the pulpit, the pews, the baptistry, the music. You should be thinking about the people that you're going to see, that you're going to greet, that you're going to hug. Saved people. People who belong to God. People who go to heaven. People whose sins have been forgiven. Listen carefully. People who need your love. People that want to love you. That's the church. And what it's supposed to be. Perfect people. You can turn to the person next to you and say, you're perfect. Go for it. One, two, three. You're perfect. You don't want to do it because you don't think so, right? You don't want to do it. But the scriptures teach that when somebody's in Christ, he pays for their sins. 
They become perfect in the eyes of God. They're not perfect in our eyes, but in God's eyes, they're sinless. God has forgiven them of their sins. We believe this. Right? So you can go back and say, okay, you don't look perfect. But you are. God's people. When Paul writes this text that we read, if we assume Paul wrote it, he's, he's, he's not saying, hey man, you better be faithful to the church institution. And once a week, you better get into your car and you've got to drive to that church building on Highway 20. And you've got to get your butt into that church pew for two hours. You've got to keep quiet during the sermon. And you've got to sing five songs. And then you've got to go home. Or else, or else, you're going to hell. That is not what that text is saying. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes that's what we think when we read it. Let me attempt at describing what I think Paul is saying. Make, uh, my own word, make every possible attempt to huddle up with your brothers and sisters in Christ because they need you and you need them. And Jesus is coming back soon. That's how I would put it in my own word. That, and I can go sit down now and we can just go home. That's really all I want to say this morning. And I, I think I experienced that this week. My, my dear brother here, Johnny, he came all the way from South Africa. Long flight. You guys know the story by now. But this Mampara, you guys remember what that word is, right? Like, this cat, he flies all the way from South Africa. He doesn't even let me know that he's getting on the plane there. He doesn't let me know he's made it safely to Paris. He doesn't let me know that he's safely in Seattle. Or that he landed in Portland. I'm like, okay, I'm driving there. I assume maybe he's made it. Now, I arrive at the airport. We're phoning each other. Eventually get a hold of him. Alfredo's phoning all the airports in the world trying to find out, hey, is this weird guy from South Africa lost somewhere in the cracks? Have you seen a guy that, you know? So we, we're trying to figure out, like, where this cat is. So we went in touch. Now I'm trying to get hold of him and at the airport up and down. Walk. I don't want to go far. It's cold, man. You gotta get out of your car and you gotta walk. I don't want to pick him up and then drop and go, right? It's my buddy. He's not gonna cry about that. I'll get all of him. And I, I'm walking in the airport looking for him. And it's like God grabs me in my heart. Because the first thing I wanted to do is, is do a double leg takedown. Now, if you know wrestling, you'll know what that is. It's like you go low, grab, grab the legs, you put him on the ground arm around the neck and you choke him out and then you hit him with an elbow when he's out that's what i felt like i was like dude don't you stay in contact with people i'm worried about you but you know what then i thought for a moment this brother of mine has gone through a a year of hell and he flew all across the world to come cuddle up with his brother who would get on a plane like that and i said to myself you know what when i see him now I'm not going to ask him why he didn't stay in touch or why he didn't organize to go onto the airport Wi-Fi or whatever. I'm just going to hug him. And I'm going to squeeze him and love him and tell him, you're welcome here, my brother. Welcome home. And that dawned on me, that is the type of Christianity. That is the type of discipleship. That is what church is about. 
It's so unfortunate that this word church has evolved over the years into this. A building, a place with stuff, a religious meeting. Isn't that sad? That's not what it was in the first century. You read the letters that Paul writes to these Christians. He says, I long for you. I want to be with you, man. I want to hang out with you. I want to have meals with you. I care about you. I wonder how's it going with you. That is what church is about. It's not about practicing this religious system and go and listen to somebody talk and just sit in the pews. That's not it. There's a place for it. But that's not it. And I want to challenge you today to think about going to church is like Jesus coming to earth. You might say, well, that sounds weird. You'll understand it as we go on. The point is this. When you decide, hey, I'm going to go to church, it should be, I'm going to go and encourage somebody, sacrifice myself for somebody, go love somebody, go die for somebody. That's what Jesus came to do on the earth. It wasn't about him. It was about the people that he loved. With that said, I want to dismantle four things just quickly this morning. I want us to help us make a paradigm shift. Maybe you don't need this shift, but some of us might need that. And I want to point out four areas that I think we need some shifting to take place. The first thing is this, from presence to participation. A phrase that I don't like, really, is when I ask people, like, what's your spiritual life like? And they say to me, well, I attend this or that church. Have you heard that before? Well, I attend this church. What does that mean to say that you attend a church? And how does that compare to what we read in the book of Hebrews over here? The term church attendance, the word attendance means being present at a place or an event. And so when you say, I attend church, you're saying, I was present at that building. Or I was present at that event. There was an event, the Christians came together, and I was present there. I want to ask you a quick question. If you can remember the text we just dealt with, the main text for today. Does that text encourage us to be present or to participate? You see, you can be present at church without participating in it. Let me tell you what that looks like. You come in the door, you sit down, you don't talk to anybody, you go out again. You just disobeyed Hebrews chapter 10, you might as well have stayed at home. You didn't encourage somebody. You didn't speak to anybody. You gave nobody a hug. You didn't care about anybody. You came in and you went out. You were present, but you didn't participate. The text indicates to us the reason for meeting. What's the reason? To spur one another on towards love and good deeds and to encourage one another. That's the two reasons the text gives us. The participation is about connecting with one another, having conversation, caring, sharing, building up. That's what church is about. And so maybe some people feel, well, going to church really is about participating in the song. Yeah, there's a place for that as well. Paul says that we should be doing that. But Hebrews 10 is talking about one another. Sometimes our church experience becomes so religious that we forget about each other. That we forget what it's really about. Let's be honest this morning. My, my dear brother Tom is sitting here. What do you think Tom needs this morning the most? 
I'm going to speak for him. Yes, his, the love of his life is in the hospital. And the possibility of her recovering is very small. It's possible that her life might not continue for much longer. What do you think is going on in his heart? He's come to God's people this morning. He's come here to us. And I think that what he needs much more than anything else we can possibly imagine is just the love and support of his brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, we go that this is why we should have God's people. It's not a service. It's like, hey, I want to go to God's people because, you know, this morning I either need to encourage somebody or I need encouragement. That's the purpose. So when I say participation, I mean what the text says. The text teaches us that church attendance is actually about participating with one another in love. Let's talk for a moment about people who um, watch sermons at home and say that they've had church this morning. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because I know the other day I spoke to some people. They said, we've got very close friends and they are, they are serious about this particular ministry. And they sit every week at home and they watch the sermon online. It's not necessary to go to church. And in many ways, I, can, I agree with that. You don't have to go to church to uh, sing. You can sing at home in your lounge. You don't have to go to church to listen to this guy with his funny accent. You can listen to much better preachers online. There's incredible preaching going on at home. You can have the Lord's Supper at home in your, in, 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 in your lounge. And the seats are more comfortable. And while you do that, you can eat the muffin. It's incredible. You can just do it at home. But there's one thing that you cannot do at home. You cannot love your brother or sister in Christ. You can't do that while you sit at home. You can't give a hug. You can't reach out. You can't listen and say, hey, how are you doing, man? What's happening in your life? But you can do that. When you actually go to the people of God. When you go to church. Why go to church? To get warm. And to make warm. That's what it's supposed to be. We need each other. So there's the first one. The second one is this. We've got to shift from law to love. Law to love. This might shock you. But the Bible nowhere commands us to have a church service every Sunday. Neither Jesus nor the apostles commanded the disciples to organize and attend a worship service every week. Like we do. That might shock you. Going to church is not a law. That was carried down to us from the apostles. Or even Jesus. Hey guys, every Sunday you've got to go to church, man. We don't find that in the Bible. So if you don't come to church, it doesn't mean you are breaking the law of God. The law of the apostles. And that's sometimes how people perceive church. People will tell me, yo, but the Sunday is now the Sabbath of the Old Testament. No, it's not. The early church got together on the first day of the week because that's the day that Jesus was resurrected. They wanted to meet together. And so they got together and said, okay, when are we going to meet? 
I think the day that Jesus rose from the dead, that's the day. That's why they met. It wasn't because, oh, now the Sunday has become the Sabbath. Now it's a new law. The apostles didn't go up on a mountain, get golden tab, or get you know tablets, and God's finger wrote on there, from now on Christians must go to church every Sunday. There is no law. So if you don't go to church on a Sunday, you have not broken a law. You've done something worse. You've showed that you don't love your brother or your sister to some extent. You've chosen to do something else instead of going to encourage somebody that needs your love. It's a choice. You've chosen to neglect your spiritual love that comes through Christ. That's far worse than breaking a law. You're not interested in encouraging and spurring somebody on towards love and good deeds. That morning or that evening or whenever it is, you're more interested in whatever you've got planned for your day. And I am not dissing the times that we, that we can't be here. We're busy with people. We're busy with other things. I'm not saying that. Please, I'm not making a law here. I'm just saying we need to remember we go to love. Look at our text. Go back to Hebrews. Let's read it again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There is no mention here of a worship service. Sunday is not even mentioned there. And this is not a command. Can you see it? Let us. And you can go look at the Greek. It's not a command. It's an exhortation. It's like, come on, guys. Let's get together. We need each other. Not, you better go. When Christians meet together and whenever they meet, it's for the sake of love. For the sake of love. Let me just read this text for you. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are not under law. We are under love. Let me skip to number three. From house to home. That's a paradigm shift we have to make. I've heard people say, we are going to the house of the Lord when they spoke about going to church. You've heard that before? I've had people come in here. The people from the world. They come and visit us and whatever. And they walk around in here and they tell their kids, hey, don't touch that. Don't touch this. This is a holy place. I'm like, bro, I live in here. Sometimes I walk past here. It's just armpits and stuff, you know. I walk through this place like it's just a piece of wood that's been slapped together. And I probably don't have to say this, but do you remember Acts chapter 17, 24? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. He doesn't live in this building, right? God doesn't live in this building. We the people are his home. I'm going to say it again. We the people are his home. The scripture says in 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, that we are a temple of living stones. When you come together, when we come together this morning, we form a home where Christ is. 1 Corinthians 3, look at this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The plural here, this is an individual. He's not saying you as an individual. He's saying as plural. 
When we are together, we are God's temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. So God lives in us all collectively. We are living stones that build together. So when we come together, every time we come together, I want to put it like this. We like build stones together and Jesus is here. You remember Matthew 18, 20, where two or more gather in my name, there I am. When the disciples met together after the resurrection, who appeared in their midst? Jesus. When the disciples were in Jerusalem in the upper room and they were praying and connecting with each other, who appeared? The Holy Spirit did. When we get together, Jesus comes. It's like we are, we are a tent and each one of us is a part of the tent and we put up the tent like the tabernacle in the wilderness. When we put up the tent, God comes. So when God's people meet, Jesus comes. I think that's incredible. When, when we leave here, Jesus goes with us in our hearts. And when we come back together, He comes. So when, when people meet together in His name, Jesus says, hey, I'm also going. So when we miss the assembly, we miss Christ. So the gathering of the saints is the home of Christ. Let me make two quick observations here because I seem I'm, I'm going on longer again. What am I Two things to just point out on this note, and then I'll go to the last point. There's an interesting Greek word used for the gathering. Episunagoge. And it only appears one time in another place in the Bible. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, and it refers to the rapture. When we are gathered with Jesus in the clouds. So when Paul uses this word in Hebrews chapter 10, it's connected to the one that's in Thessalonians that refers to gathering with Christ in the clouds. When we get to, and there must be a link there. When we gather together, we gather together with Christ. And it's connected to the rapture. Well, we, I can throw that word away. You know what I mean. When we meet Christ in the clouds according to Thessalonians. So when we meet together, we gather to Him. In anticipation of His second coming. And the second thing is this. There were people in these churches that Hebrews talks about that were in the habit of not going to the assemblies, to these meetings that look different than ours, right? But I chased a little rabbit trail this week. The Hebrew text tells us that some people neglected that meeting. And I looked at some of the cross references and it took me to Jude verse 19 that spoke a certain subgroup of people who was used to, and the Greek says, separate themselves. So what happens is this, I'm not going to go with, I don't want to be with all the people, I'm going to cut myself off, I'm going to separate myself. And it's common for people to do that. I cut myself off from God's people. And then I chased that rabbit trail and I went to Jeremiah, I went to Ezekiel, and that word appears all the time, that idea that there's a subgroup of people who separate themselves. And I read a little bit deeper about that, those people who separate themselves every single time. You know why they separated themselves? Because they worshipped other gods. And that God, the reason why we miss meeting together with God's people, that God, and our time might be comfort. It's comfortable not to be with God's people. It's more comfortable on my couch. Might be money. 
Well, I'm away this morning to go make some money. What might be your job or even your hobby? And I challenge you to own it. Let's look at the last paradigm. From me to we. Most people, I really want to ask you to listen to me very carefully this morning. Most people go to church thinking, me. I'm going to church so God can be happy with me. I'm going to church to hear what the message is for me. I hope I get a comfortable seat for me. I hope someone greets me. I hope that there is somebody that's my age. I hope somebody will be there this morning that will talk to me. I hope that the music is not too loud for me. I hope that we are singing songs this morning that I like. According to my taste. If that is our mentality, I want to say it's 100% scriptural, right? Is, is that what our text said? No. Paul is saying exactly the opposite. Go to the meetings for who? Or what? For others. To do what? To encourage them. Imagine our church situation. We totally swapped around. And we said, you know, I'm not going to go for this morning for me. I'm going to go for somebody else. I'm going to go for Tom. I want to give him a hug this morning. That's why I'm going. It would change everything, wouldn't it? Paul is saying, do this. Go to the meetings and go for others and go with this attitude. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Some translation says, don't look out just for what you want, but for what others need. So, it's like this. I'm going to go to church today to keep somebody warm. Let me go to church today to go and encourage someone. You see, if it's all about you, you will soon stop coming. You'll soon stop coming. You'll hesitate to go because it won't take long for you to dislike what the preacher says. I wanted him to talk about stuff I want to hear. So last Sunday I went, he didn't talk about stuff that I wanted, so I'm not going this week. It was about you, wasn't it? Somebody else needed to hear that message. Maybe it wasn't you. But why did you go just for you? Oh, well, we didn't sing the songs this week that I wanted to sing. So next time, oh, you know what? I'm not going to go again because it's about me. Or, you know, I went to church, but nobody greeted me. So, I, I, you know, it's a waste of time. I'm not going to go if people don't greet me. What about you go to greet somebody? What if we all had that attitude? Won't we be a unusually significant church? Unusually significant gathering. Directing your attitude towards the assembly in service to others doesn't mean that how you feel doesn't matter. It does matter. Of course, you want to keep others warm, but you also want to get warm. But if we all do that, we'll keep each other warm in this cold 
world. If we focus on one another, we would all be happy and warm. If it's about we, not me, the church becomes an incredible life-changing community. The text says, consider one another. And there's an interesting Greek word there that is used when he says, provoke one another towards love and good deeds. That means um, either excite one another towards love and good deeds, make people excited to love one another. Um, the word provoke is used there, which is interesting. It's actually a negative word. If you go out in the world, most people provoke you to what? Anger and hatred. But Paul's saying, get together because we need to provoke one another to love. And then another word he uses, stir. Stir one another up. And for me, in a, in a big way, it's like, it's like paint. You know we've got paint in a can and it's, it's been on the cupboard for a while and you want to use it? What do you do with it? What's the first thing you do? You stir it up because you want the particles to move up again. You know what's going to happen if we don't stir one another up towards love? All the particles of love, the love in us will sink to the bottom of our hearts. And we'll stop loving people. We'll become just like the cold world. And so Paul is saying to prevent that from happening, get together with God's people to stir each other up. Now let me land this plane and bring it all home. Our church isn't perfect. Our assemblies are not the most entertaining. I'm sorry, we don't have a smoke machine here. But the people that come into this building, they're going to heaven. And they deserve our love because they love Jesus Christ. We need to switch from the idea of going to a worship service to going to encourage God's people. Sometimes the preaching and the teaching is boring. I admit, sometimes I fall asleep as I'm talking. Some of you fall asleep when I speak. And you're wondering what I'm going to say next. You want me to say your name? I can see everything. I want to tell you this. If you fall asleep while I'm preaching, that's okay. Honestly, with me, it's okay. Tells me the couch is very comfortable where you're sitting. Tells me you feel at home. But there's two key reasons. Number one, why I'm okay with it. It's because I don't feel bad. Because Eutychus fell asleep while Paul was preaching. And I think he was a powerful preacher, right? If you don't know the story, go read it. I think it's in Acts chapter 17, I think. He fell from the window. Dead. Paul was a boring preacher. It's okay if I am. Secondly, you are here. You are here. And although you slept during the sermon, you had to walk in here. Nobody pushed you in a bed here. You had to walk in here. And on the way to your bench where you're sleeping, you greeted someone. You encouraged someone. And somebody encouraged you. And when you, you're going to wake up at the end of the sermon, hopefully, you're going to walk out again. And on the way, you're going to encourage somebody. And you're going to spur somebody on towards love and good deeds. Well done, my friend. You've obeyed Hebrews chapter 10. So I can, I can handle that. In my book, you've done what the text says. So we are not perfect. The church isn't perfect. We are broken. And we are all part of a broken tradition. The Bible does not meet, tell us to meet twice on a Sunday. 
It does not tell us to meet once on a Wednesday. But these are the times that we can meet. That we have decided to meet on. So we have three opportunities in one week to encourage one another. To stir one another on towards love and good deeds. You don't like the music? That's fine. Come and encourage someone. You don't like the preacher? That's fine. Sleep while he's preaching. But come and encourage somebody. You don't like the Bible study topic? Come and encourage that the people that are there. It's about the people. It's about God's people. Forget about your personal preferences and think about God's people. It's about love. It's about one another. Why all of this encouragement? Why do we have to encourage each other? Because the world is getting colder and we need to cuddle. Secondly, because Jesus is coming soon. That's what the text says. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And it's a capital letter. And the scholars are debating about what it is. It's the destruction of Jerusalem. It's the coming of Christ. It's the day that you die. It's all of it. All of it. It's the last day. Your last day is coming. My last day is coming. And Paul is saying, encourage one another because this last day is coming. Now let, let's be real. Cheryl Phipps sat there in the back corner about a month ago. Cutest, young, small, tiny, old, precious, classy lady. Healthy, perfectly sitting there. Four days later, it was her last day. On the Thursday. Her last day came in our time. That was the last time. That we could speak to her, give her a hug, and encourage her. Quick question. If we knew that Sunday, that Thursday was a lost day, how would that have changed any conversation with her? How would that have changed anything? Thursday. Let this sink in. Thursday. She came face to face with the creator of the universe. Thursday. She, ex she experienced the destruction of her own body. Her bodily system gave up. Have you ever experienced that? Can you imagine what type of fear must be in you as your brain tells you, I am busy dying? What type of encouragement do we need to give somebody like that? This is crazy. This is real. Sometimes we live our lives as if, oh, there's no last day. How many people that meet in this assembly have died in the last year? Two years, three years. Here's the truth. Some of us are going to have our last day in the next year. And unfortunately, here's the big truth. And I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be really talking about this, but we have to face this. It's very possible that Nancy might have a last day. It's very possible. Just spoke to Tom this morning. You know, brothers and sisters, you know, let's, let's be real about this, man. Let's treat each other like we are really going to die one day. Let's treat each other as people that need each other. Let's not play church. Let's not play religion. Let's look past all of our religious history. Look past our traditions and look at one another as God's people. 
And let's stop playing this idea of, oh, the church this, the church that, and start just loving each other, as simple as that. Hold each other, hug each other, man. Spend time. Don't wait the whole seven days before you see the person next to you again. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. We don't have to wait for this to experience love with one another. Please stand as we sing the closing song and please reflect on what we've spoken about this morning.